0: In the meantime, we're trying to stay connected through our website. This message is entitled, Ah, 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 Staying Alive. Our scripture today is uh, Psalm 46, where it says in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way. And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake in their surging. Verse 7 says, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord. Verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In verse 10 it says, Be still. That almost sounds like self-isolating or self-quarantining. And it doesn't say, Be still and listen to David Muir and Lester Holt and Lisa Laflemme and Ian Mansing." It says, Be still and know that I am God. Focus on what God is saying, because God is at work. And here's the blueprint. This is what God is working on. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And that's quite a task because God has been diminished and disrespected among the nations. And maybe this plague will begin to change that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for our church family and all those listening. We... uh, Pray that you would look after them, that you would encourage them, and especially those who are vulnerable, who have immune-compromised situations in their medical history, and who live in high-density areas, those who are poor, and those who don't have work, because there's a lot of uncertainty. We pray that you would encourage them and sustain them, and that they would know that you are God and that you can be trusted. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on March 7th, my wife and I went to Florida for our annual pilgrimage to see our son Jonathan and his family. We were planning to be gone for about 17 days, and it's always a really great time. This year we went by faith because there were reports of a highly contagious virus that was spreading across the globe. But at that time, only two people in Florida had tested positive. Now we know that these outbreaks are always serious, and we've had other epidemics before. We've had West Nile virus, Ebola, SARS, bird flu, swine flu, mad cow, disgruntled goat. I think we may have missed that last one. But this one was obviously different. In Florida, we began to see people walking along the lake with surgical masks on. I wondered, was this really necessary? It didn't sink in until I heard that Disney was closing its theme parks for the rest of the month. They never do that. And tourists arriving in the Holy Land had to self-quarantine for two weeks before they could begin their tour. How would that work? And then March Madness was cancelled. The annual college basketball playoffs were suspended. How is that possible? And then there were reports of travel restrictions and borders closing and cities on lockdown. There were empty grocery shelves, no hand sanitizer, no toilet paper. I went into Publix to buy some Chobani passion fruit yogurt and I couldn't believe it. Publix has about as many shoppers as Safeway but it looked like Costco at high tide. When you're seeing this, it's hard to wrap your mind around it, especially when it happens so fast and you don't have time to process it. I'm a contemplative, so I need at least 24 hours' notice if there's going to be any incoming stress. I must admit, this was very disorienting. Fortunately, my wife, who is a lot more level-headed, waited for hours on the WestJet phone line to find us an earlier flight. And by God's grace, we got two seats on a plane that brought us home nine days sooner than scheduled. And forget about social distancing. At the Orlando airport, you're wading through a mass of humanity all trying to evacuate the happiest place on earth. Standing in the TSA lines made me think of Psalm 91, verses 6 and 7. You will not fear the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Okay, God, you're on. Sign me up for your travel insurance policy. So we did make it back to Calgary, to our safe house, and began 14 days of self-quarantine, SFSG. Imagine that, 14 days, not being able to go into any store for two weeks. I don't know if anyone's ever managed to do that before. My previous record was seven days. Fortunately, we had Gisla and Wendy and Art who supplied us with enough groceries to last through our solitary confinement. I mean, it's becoming a ghost town out there. The gym is closed. I can't go to the zoo And if I don't find a clip joint soon, I'm going to start looking like Pastor Gary. So now what? Well, now we have time. Time to process what this means. And that's a challenge because we've never seen anything like this before. This is uncharted territory. It almost seems like an alien invasion or a zombie apocalypse. Is this Y2K 20 years late? One of the first questions that comes to mind is, are these the end times? In Revelation 6, the four horsemen of the apocalypse appear, and they ravage the earth with wars, famines, and plagues. And verse 6 of that chapter mentions the grocery stores, where it says, Then I heard what sounded like the voice among the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine, and there shall be no purel and purex. That's uh, my paraphrase. Are these the last days? Well, they could be, or maybe this is a dress rehearsal, because this is what judgment looks like, and judgment day is coming. So did God send this virus? We don't know. We do know that it had a natural origin, not a supernatural one. This is biology gone toxic. And it's interesting that the Chinese doctor who discovered this virus was a Christian. And the government tried to suppress his findings. But he sounded the alarm anyway at the risk of his career. And has since died because of this plague. Because this is no respecter of persons. The fatalities will include the righteous and the unrighteous. Because even though we are the ambassadors of the kingdom of God, we do not have diplomatic immunity from trials and tribulations. So is this the end times? Nobody knows. Is the zoo going to be open during the tribulation? Are these the last days? Who knows? But in a season of distress and danger, it doesn't help to spend a lot of time in your imagination, contemplating worst-case scenarios, because that can give the enemy a foothold. Satan wants to exploit this crisis by spreading fear until it escalates into a panic. And that's far worse than the coronavirus. And I think the real danger is us becoming self-absorbed, worrying only about our health, seeing other people as a potential threat. We can become suspicious and paranoid, and we can even lose our mental health worrying about our physical health. There is a better way. Instead of dwelling on questions we can't answer, we have to discipline ourselves and focus on the answers we already have in the Bible. Because in this global crisis, there are a number of opportunities that God is giving us. And remember, this is the God who has promised to make all things work together for our good, even things like this. And we know that God is not self-isolating. He has not quarantined himself. He is at work, and He's giving us opportunities. And so the first order of business is repentance. This is a great opportunity for repentance. In Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, we read this. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think will all perish. Two tragedies had recently taken place. One was because of a state-sponsored slaughter, and the other because of a terrible accident. And the questions people were asking was, did the victims of these tragedies deserve this fate because they were worse sinners than the rest of us? And Jesus said, no. But unless you repent you too will all perish. The lesson is clear. Whenever there are natural disasters or terrorist attacks or pandemics, we all need to examine ourselves and acknowledge our own sin and repent. And above all, what repentance means is that we start taking God seriously. Because that's exactly what's missing in our society. We don't take God seriously. In fact, mocking God has become part of our vernacular. It's one of our most popular expressions. Oh, my God, I love your outfit. Oh, my God, I ate too much. Oh, my God. Well, that God gave his people ten commandments. And number 3 says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We don't take that seriously. Matthew 12:36 Jesus said, "But I tell you the truth that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned." Like Isaiah's generation, we have unclean lips and we live among a people of unclean lips. In the movies, the name that's mentioned more than any other is Jesus, but it is used in anger, frustration, and profanity. And that's like spitting in the face of God. There is very little reverence in our society. And there certainly is no awareness of God's holiness. People just don't take him seriously. And of course, it's not just our language. We defiantly celebrate the seven deadly sins in our culture, like pride and lust, greed and bitterness. We live in a society where it is legally possible to break all ten of the commandments without any fear of being arrested. We don't think of the consequences until something bad happens. Then there might be an opportunity for people to come to their senses and turn from their wicked ways. In Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 to 8, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And a man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature will from that nature reap destruction. For a long time now, I've been wondering, as I've looked at the world, as I've seen how broken it is, as I've seen the decadence increasing, as I've seen it getting darker, I've been wondering, where are the consequences? And where is the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Well, this is a time when the Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment. This is a time when God is calling us to repent. And perhaps we will take Him a lot more seriously after this. Because God has declared He will be exalted among the nations. May we see that happen soon. We can't go back to business as usual. Our materialistic prosperity has been a curse. I mean, forget the prosperity gospel because the side effect of prosperity is usually spiritual indifference. It's adversity that forces us to pray and seek God. This is a tremendous opportunity for revival. The second opportunity for us in this pandemic is to rediscover humility. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 7 says, Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. If we would be honest, we would have to admit that we are such arrogant people. We are so self-sufficient. We don't need the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because we have our own trinity. The three most adored idols in our culture are success, sexual indulgence, and science. These days you hear people say, I don't believe in religion. I believe in facts. I believe in science. And the implication is that science has made God irrelevant. It's the Big Bang, stupid. It's evolution. It's fossils. It's billions and billions of years. Who needs God when you've got billions and billions of years? I believe in facts and fossils. We kind of assume that science explains everything, that science can solve everything, and that science can make us safe. We are so proud of our scientific intellect, so self-sufficient. In fact, there are scientists who claim that by editing our DNA and by disinfecting the gene pool, they can eliminate disabilities and disease. Huh, well, how's that working out for you? We are so arrogant in the things that we think we can control until something really bad happens. All it takes is for one corona-shaped virus to expose science as a false god. It is not omniscient. It is not omnipotent. Science has some serious limitations. Now we pray that researchers will be able to discover an antidote. But when they do, we should be humble and grateful and not return to our defiant, overconfident mindset. Instead of boasting, I did it my way, we need to testify, I did it thy way. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What we need to do is to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand that He may lift us up in due time. We need to rediscover humility, to recognize our limitations. We can't keep overestimating ourselves. We are not invincible. A microscopic virus can sabotage our best-laid plans for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It can shut down our economy. It can even force Disney World to close. As human beings, we are so vulnerable. Our planet contains so many destructive forces that can kill us, from floods to fires and from volcanoes to viruses. And it is only by the grace of God that we can go out and have a nice day. God opposes the proud. I find it interesting that this pandemic started in China. Now, it's no reflection on the Chinese. They are wonderful, gracious people. I love the Chinese. I love their food, just not the kind that they sell in that unhygienic wet market of Wuhan. I'm talking about Panda Express, orange chicken rules. They should open up some of those Panda Expresses in Wuhan and it would save us a lot of trouble. The Chinese are great people, but their leader, Xi Jinping, is bad news. He is probably the one person in this world who has more ego and pride than Donald Trump. Xi has asserted his sovereignty in that culture by taking away religious freedom, trashing human rights, and persecuting Christians. Even their traditional belief in reincarnation is now illegal. One comedian said, you can now be charged with breaking and re-entering. Z is even demanding that his picture be displayed in every church. Don't look to Jesus, look to me. In 2019, he boasted, no force can stop the Chinese people. And he has vowed to make China great again. When I heard that, I wondered if God would call his bluff. God opposes the proud. And that's when riots broke out in the streets of Hong Kong. And a pandemic began that did, not, that did stop the irresistible force of Chinese economic superiority. This virus has his name written all over it. This should be called the Xi Jinping virus. Remember what happened to the pharaoh in the book of Exodus? That time, it actually took ten plagues to humble him. Perhaps this first one will humble the Chinese leader. It might even humble Donald Trump. But let's make sure that it humbles us. Humility, repentance, and the third opportunity we have in a crisis is to practice radical trust. In John chapter 14 verse 1, Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples at the Last Supper on the evening before his crucifixion. Lost in all of this is the fact that this is Easter season. Next week is Palm Sunday. And so this pandemic is not the worst thing that's ever happened in this world. The worst day on planet Earth was on a Friday some 2,000 years ago, and it took place on a skull-shaped hill. Now, Jesus knew his followers would be seriously traumatized and overwhelmed when all hell broke loose, so he gave them the antidote, do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. The most natural reaction to this pandemic is fear. We have never faced a threat like this before, and it just keeps spreading. So fear is natural. It's our basic instinct. However, the problem is that fear is a parasitic emotion. It uses up all our energy. It drains all our resources until we feel emotionally paralyzed and can't even think straight. We get disoriented and demoralized, and that's when we panic. So fear is even worse than this virus. And while fear is natural, it is not necessary because fear is a choice among alternatives. Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. That means it's a choice that we make. We can choose to let fear trouble us. Now, of course, all of us have tested positive for fear, Because initially, anxiety simply overwhelms us and we can't help it. But once we realize what's happening to us, we have a choice. There are options. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. We can choose the antidote to fear, which is trust. This pandemic gives us an opportunity to trust God more than ever before. And you can't do both. You can't be troubled and trust at the same time. They are mutually exclusive, so you have to choose one. So we need to put our feelings on notice. We're implementing a new policy. No more business as usual. Psalm 42.5 Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And this policy is effective immediately. You see, our government has instituted a number of new policies and restrictions. Well, this is going to be our policy going forward. Put your hope in God, for we will praise him, our Savior and God. You know, I realize that I've hired fear to counsel me. And I've listened to its predictions. But I've also realized that fear is a liar. And so what I have to do is fire it immediately. Clean out your office and get out of here. And don't expect a letter of reference. Why are you downcast? Why disturb? Put your hope in God. This is a great opportunity to reinvest our hope in God. Because we tend to underestimate God. Most times I see God as slightly bigger than the last problem he solved and somewhat smaller than the current problem that I face. And so if we're measuring God's greatness by the dimensions of our difficulties, this pandemic will increase our appreciation of his sovereignty. We're going to get a major upgrade. Trust 2.0. We're going to see that God is on the throne He's in control and He is able. And if God is for us, who can be against us? We have an opportunity in this crisis to significantly increase our ability to trust God. The fourth opportunity we have in a crisis of this magnitude is to practice compassion. For many of us, this has been an anxious time It's a frustrating time. It's a tremendous inconvenience. But we're going to be okay. But what about the others? It's going to be difficult for a lot of people to recover without our help. I'm thinking of the immigrants, those who are unemployed, those who are disabled, people with medical conditions. This pandemic is an opportunity for us to help them. We have to change our habits to stop hoarding and start sharing. I know that we've been warned about social distancing and we should respect and obey that policy. But we can't use that as an excuse for avoiding people in need. Jesus said in Matthew 25, beginning at verse 35, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And that also applies in a pandemic. We can't quarantine ourselves from people in need. And we say to others, if you find yourself running out of resources, if you're running out of toilet paper, if you're struggling with anxiety, If you need help, and especially if you're alone, let us know. Phone the church, email us, text us, the elders, the pastors. I don't think we're still accepting smoke signals, but there's ways to communicate with us like Facebook. Let us know how we can help you and also how we can help some of your neighbors because right now we're not that busy. We have time. An unusual thing happened to me on Monday as I was writing this message. God told me exactly what I had to do. You see, I am stingy and selfish. And above all, I want to hang on to my money. It's mine, and you can't have any. But God spoke to me about that. And often when He speaks to me, He tells me something I don't want to hear. God instructed me to set up an account containing about five months of my salary, set aside for people in need. And then he told me exactly how I could use it. I mean, what's the point of having money sitting in a savings account when there's people around us who need help now? I wasn't going to tell anyone about this, but I have to go on record because if I don't, what's going to happen is I'll just find a good excuse and change my mind and no one will ever know, and my heart will shrink three sizes. I also say this because maybe some of you will decide to do even more than that. This is not my idea. This comes from higher up. Because even at a time of judgment, God still offers his love and mercy, and often he does it through stingy, selfish people like us. And we don't just do this for the people we like, but even for those who don't deserve it. Because in Romans chapter 12, verse 20, it says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Maybe that's why Pastor Ryan brought me a big jug of water and set it outside my door yesterday. Next week's and month's. Let us take advantage of these unprecedented opportunities to make a difference in the name of Jesus and show people who are anxious and fearful how much God loves them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how you've looked after us during this time